Hey everyone, it's Leon here. I just had a really cool conversation with Ryan at worldofspeakers.com and I hope you enjoy it. And uh, we talked about kindness and how to go out into the world and inspire people by coming from your heart. Welcome to the World of Speakers podcast brought to you by Speaker Hub. In each episode, we interview a professional speaker and reveal their very best tips and tricks. You'll learn to improve your presentation skills, keep your audience engaged, and learn how to grow your business to get more gigs and make more money. Here's your host, Ryan Foland. All right, everybody, we're back. And this time, we are with someone who is traveling the world speaking. And this is no sort of figurative exaggeration. This guy, I have seen his videos in pretty much every single corner of the earth that you can imagine, and then some. Ladies and gentlemen, Leon Logotheus. Leon, how are you doing today? And are you in... I don't. Where are you in the world? <laughs> I'm doing very well, and I am in um, Los Angeles today. Excellent. Well, welcome to my side of the world. Let's start off by people learning a little bit about you. I mean, it's pretty amazing what you're doing, but what is that, and how did that all come to terms? Sure. So I used to be a broker in the city of London, and on the outside, I had pretty much everything you'd want. On the inside, I had not too much you would want. I was very depressed, Mm. very disconnected, no real sense of purpose. And I stumbled across the movie, The Motorcycle Diaries, which is a romanticized version of Che Guevara traveling around South America, relying on the kindness of strangers. Mm. And after watching that movie, I was really, I call it my tipping point. It was a tipping point where I realized I had to quit my job and and really um, start living my own life. So I did just that. And uh, I started to travel around the world relying on the kindness of strangers. I mean, it sounds simple, but it wasn't. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So does that mean you just go with no money, no place to stay, and you just sort of figure out how it works? Yeah. So the first thing I did was I I hitchhiked from Times Square to the Hollywood sign. Wow. Yeah, I had $5 a day. So every day I could use $5. And um, I had to rely entirely on people like you and people like your listeners to help me to really, I wanted to be inspired and I wanted to inspire others to know that kindness really does exist in the world. Hmm. And how long did that take you to get from this, from New York all the way to the West coast? It took about a month. Wow. Any crazy stories from that journey across? Many, many crazy stories. I'll tell you one of them. Okay. So I met a lady in Indianapolis and she had a one-year-old kid and, and I was sitting on a bench and we got talking and I told her what I was doing. And she turns around to me and she says, um, well, look, you know, I, I live in, in, in Chicago, which is about three hours from Indianapolis. I have to be in Indianapolis today because uh, I'm going to a wedding and tonight. But if you want, here are my only set of keys and you can uh, find your way to Chicago. You can eat the chili from my fridge. You can sleep on my couch and you can leave the keys in the flower pot the next day. And uh, that is exactly what happened. <laughs> I found, yeah, I, a total random stranger gave me the, her keys to her house. Wow. That's powerful. I mean, it, it's a message that these days is, is nice to hear in such a divisive time, really, when you just hope that there are people out there across the board that are using their kindness as a sort of currency, right? Like a currency kindness, I guess? Yeah. I mean, to me, how you show up in the world matters profoundly. And sometimes people say to me, well, Leon, I can't quit my job. I can't go around the world in a yellow motorbike. And I say, well, that wasn't, that's not the aim of what I did. What, what the aim of what I did was just to inspire people to be kind moment to moment. 
uh, that's the most important thing is, is how you show up and how you show up matters. And um, mm. I'm not suggesting you need to be perfect because you don't. I'm not perfect uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Just if I were to give you the, my telephone number of my ex-girlfriends, they would show you and tell you with much glee about how imperfect I am. <laughs> uh, but that, does, that doesn't mean that I don't go out and try and be kind as much as I can. Right. And so what is the result? Uh, what is your finding? Have you found that people are kind? Is this the through line? What is the, the underarching consensus based on your hands-on research? I'd say more often than not, kindness, not, not more often, not definitely, kindness is part of who we are. It's wired into us. You know, many hundreds of thousands of years ago, whenever it was, we were all living in caves and we had to have a sense of community to stay alive. And we had to, you know, work with each other and we had to be kind. Of course, there were moments where people are not kind, I get it. But part of who we are is wired for kindness. And um, I'd say, the biggest thing for me is that many people have lost trust or they've lost faith in other people in themselves to a degree. And when you lose trust in others, it's difficult to be kind. Mm. So you're going around, you're documenting these stories, right? Cause I've seen kind of some of the videos and whatnot. You even have a Netflix, is it a program? Is it a series? Tell me about that. Yeah. It's a Netflix show called the kindness diaries. And in that show, I, I bought myself a vintage yellow motorbike called kindness one and i drove it yeah i drove it from los angeles all the way around the world back to los angeles relying entirely on kindness uh, no money no food no gas no place to stay and there was a twist and the twist was that unsuspecting good samaritans received a life-changing gift hmm. so kind of like undercover boss but undercover world exactly okay undercover traveler yeah undercover traveler i like that so is this something that the exercise was done or is this something that you're going to continue to do? Um, what are the next steps for you? Yeah, no, I'm definitely continuing. As you mentioned earlier, I'm doing a lot of speeches to schools because I was, and to businesses, I was bullied. So I know what it feels like to feel alone. Um, and I go back into schools and, and try and inspire kids to treat each other with respect. And then we're doing another journey, another version of the show, which is Alaska to Argentina. Uh, that starts in March. Wow. Well, the whole speaking at schools, that's very dear to my heart. That was where I really started my speaking as well. And I was bullied. I'm a ginger, so I've got freckles. And here in Orange County, there aren't too many gingers. <laughs> so I was singled out early on. And yeah, it's, uh, it's empowering to have gone through that, but then come through the other side and, and help inspire children to be kind as well, right? And I'm assuming you're using these diaries and these travels to sort of feed the stories that you're sharing with these children in the talks. Is that correct? Absolutely. That's why I, I try and, and my aim is to make kindness cool because, um, you know, if a man can travel around the world, rely on kindness and get a Netflix show, that's pretty cool. Right, right. And you can be cool too by simply being kind. Now, were you always a traveler or was this something that you just kind of um, step really outside of your comfort zone to jump into? Well, look, prior to leaving my, my office job in London, I'd done some traveling and that did kind of inspired me a little bit to really go out into the world and, and see it head on. So yes, I became a, I definitely became a traveler. I'd like to call myself really an adventurer. I like adventures. I like going out into the world and meeting people and being put in difficult situations 
Although when I'm in those difficult situations, I don't particularly like them. Right. But they do make me better. And uh, adventure is a beautiful way of uh, finding yourself, I find. So I'm fascinated by these probably little mini speeches and conversations that you're having with people as you're trying to communicate through language barriers to uh, gain assistance or you know create bond or just have that communication. So how have you prepared and what have you learned from not the speaking on the stage standpoint, but these actual human interactions? Because I'm assuming you've had more at-bats than most people when it comes to, you know, meeting someone who doesn't speak the same language and, and trying to have that communication. So how have you dealt with that? Are you versed in all these different languages or are you just sort of body language the main key? Uh, how does that happen? I am very well versed in the language of being human. And what do I mean mm. by that? I mean that, uh, yeah, I don't speak Spanish. I don't speak Cambodian, whatever language they speak there. I don't, I don't speak Italian, but I understand people. And I, I only understand people because I've had the privilege of being able to travel the world and to be able to see the world. And what I've noticed is that we're all the same. You know, sometimes when you turn on the news, you're, you're told that we're all different and they're bad or because they're following a certain religion or because they're a certain color. And the reality is we're, at base, we're all the same. We just want to be seen. And what do I mean by being seen? I mean that ultimately we want to be loved, we want to be heard, we want to be respected, we want to be valued. And when you see another human being, that is a beautiful way to tell that person that they matter. And when you tell a person that they matter, then you are communicating with them. Even if you do not understand their language, you can communicate with body language, you can communicate with how you show up, you can communicate with the little language you know. So that is the most important, one of the most important things I learned was the simple power of seeing another human being. I like that idea of little language, right? A friend of mine talks about how you can't not communicate. Like, even if you're trying to not communicate, you're communicating that you're not communicating, right? Yeah, absolutely. So tell us about some of the little languages or these little the small snippets of conversation that are relevant for people who speak the same language? Are there certain things that you look for or certain cues that um, really let you know that you're connecting with people from those little conversations? Well, for example, when I go up to people to start with when I'm doing my journey, I'm very careful of my distance when I start talking to them. You know, I never go up to them and speak to them and um, stand really close to them because that's aggressive. So I stand away from them. And that tells them, okay, A, he's being respectful, mm -hmm. and B, he is, he is respecting me enough. He's not being aggressive. And these little things, like, for example, I saw an uh, ad many, many years ago, an English in London, where there was an English soldier who had sunglasses on, and he was screaming with a local. And then all of a sudden, he took off his sunglasses, and they all both calmed down because there was eye contact. Mm. So little things like that make a very big difference. You're right. It's not just about what you say and how you say it. It's what you do and how you show up. I like that. And so I'm assuming you're able to translate these sort of micro communication skills to the stage. And I personally know how hard it is for middle school students and high school students to pay attention or to be into what's happening. Are you using 
some of these nuances to really create kind of a different type of talk or a, or a unique type of communication when you're on the stage? Absolutely. So for example, one of the I do is I get the kids, uh, I tell them about my personal stories and I open up, you know, and I become vulnerable and I tell them how I was bullied and I explain one of the stories about how I was bullied. And then I ask them to come down, who wants to come down and share with us what it feels like when someone's mean to you. And, you know, a few people put their hands up, they come down and they get the chance to come up and share. And uh, then I say to them, I say, to one of them, I say, does it feel like someone's turning back on you when they're mean? And he's, they're like, yes, that's exactly how it feels. Then I turn to the audience and I tell everyone, I want you to, the whole school, I want you to turn your back on me and all the, the kids that are standing here. Notice I say me as well. So the kids, I don't want them to feel like they're alone. They're not, I'm with them. Yeah. The, the kids turn their back and I, I say to the kids who are sitting next to me, how does it feel when everyone has turned their back to you? And they're like, well, it feels terrible. And then I get each of them to say what it feels like. And then I tell everyone at the school to turn around and face us. And I say to the uh, kids who are standing up with me, how does it feel when they turn around and look at you? And they're like, oh, wow, I feel amazing. So that just felt experience mm. uh, is something that I try and do as well. Felt experience. I think that's, uh, I don't think I've ever heard that term before. Is that your coined term? Uh, it is now? <laughs> it is now. <laughs> Wow, that's uh, that's powerful. And so, let's get into you know the type of modes and and speaking skills and advice that you would give to somebody who is an upcoming speaker or they're already a speaker and they want to get better. I really love this angle coming from the trenches. Really, right? I mean, you maybe have people who are speaking on stage that want to connect with the audience, but you're spending months at a time connecting with people on the same stage, like, and it's the street or it's the, the barrio. So what are some of these, like these felt experiences? Let's take some time and, and learn from you. What would you share with someone else who came to you and said, teach me the best that you know when it comes to speaking? Sure. Well, I would say the first thing you have to do is not worry about connecting with your audience. It's about worrying about connecting with yourself. Hmm. And what I mean by that is that uh, what I do every before every single speech without fail is i spend 10 to 15 minutes listening to a very very calming song whilst doing breathing exercises so i do these breathing exercises i do these listen to this song that centers me and then i go in and give the speech and i feel connected i feel connected to myself and then i feel connected to the room so that would be the first and the most important thing because i've done speeches when i'm not when i haven't done that and um, the speech is, is nowhere near as good as when I'm fully connected to myself. So let's unpack that just for a second. So you say breathing exercises. What would that be? Are they belly breaths? Is it sort of mind-to-body breath connection? From a tactical standpoint, somebody, they get maybe Enya or their favorite soothing, cool song. What is an example of a breathing exercise somebody could do? So for example, what I do is I breathe in deeply for five seconds and then I breathe out deeply for five seconds. And I do that 30 times. Wow. And after the 30th time, I get rid of all my breath for like 15 seconds. And then I breathe in all my breath for like 15 seconds. And this is something that I actually got from reading a book called uh, Dan Brule's book. I can't remember what the name of the book is, but Dan Brule, B-R-U-L-E, is a famous uh, breath master. 
and he really changed my speaking capacity by doing all that. And uh, that's basically what I do. Hmm. And I do it without fail. And that's amazing. So you've got five minutes of breathing in for five seconds, out for five seconds, and then, or no, not five minutes. You just do that 30 times, right? Yeah. Well, it's about, it's, it, for me, it lasts 10 to 15 minutes. Wow. Because I do it twice. Okay. And then do you do the empty and hold it out and bring it all in in between those smaller five in, five outs? Or is that after that? No, I, I do five in, five outs 30 times. Then I do breathe out until I need a breath. And then I breathe in for 10 to 15 seconds. And then I repeat it. Gotcha. That's awesome. Okay, cool. So now you're, you have done your breathing exercises. You've connected with yourself, which I love because most people instinctively say you've got to connect with the audience. But you're saying unless you connect with yourself first, that's going to be difficult. Yeah, that's been my experience. So you're walking up on the stage now. What next or, or what do we need to be aware of? <laughs> <laughs> well, funnily enough, whenever, just before I get on stage, I'm always, I'm not suggesting that people do this, but I'm always like, oh my God, this is the speech I'm going to mess up. <laughs> like you tell yourself that or that's what you're thinking? No, no, I don't. That's what I think. Okay. I mean, I don't tell I'm always thinking that and I never mess it up. I mean, right. well, I don't know, maybe some people have said I have messed it up, but my point is that sometimes your mind takes over Yeah, and you're like, you know, don't listen to everything your mind tells you because if I listened to what my mind would tell me, then I, then I wouldn't ever give a good speech. So really what I do is I, you know, try and warm them up. I try and get the vibe going, try and get them, you know, to connect with me and to connect to my story and to connect whatever the messages I'm about to share those are the next things I do. Maybe tell a joke. When I'm with the kids, it's funny because depending on the age group of the kids, not always, but let's say from the ages of, I don't know, five to 12, I will go on stage, normally I wear a hat, and I will tell them who wants to hear a secret. And they all put their hands up. They're like, yeah, I want to hear a secret. I want to hear a secret. <laughs> and I say to them, well, the secret is, do you promise me you're not going to tell anyone? They're like, yeah, we promise, we promise. I said, the secret is that I used to be a child and they all start laughing <laughs> and then i and then i tell them do you want to hear another secret and they're like yeah 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 and i say well and then i take off my hat and i say i used to have hair and they all start <laughs> laughing and that way everyone is you know we're in it together now where they know me i know them now obviously i can't do that joke with a 20 year old or with a 50 year old because it's not funny right but with a kid it is so i try and enter with something humorous or something like a, a hook. So for example, I'll sometimes say to them, I must say to them things like, uh, when was the last time you felt truly seen? When was the last time another human being truly saw who you were and you felt it at the very bottom of your heart that this person sees you? And that's another way to get in because then you're touching them with the heart. How do you warm up the older crowd? Do you have any tactics for that? Like, let's say it's more of a you know a conference where you're dealing with business professionals in, in sort of the mature age. Any good little stage tricks to get them having a felt experience? Yeah. Sometimes I get them to, uh, I do some exercises with them where they get to uh, find someone in the room and connect with them. That's one way. Other times I make jokes. Like, for example, if I'm in Iowa, I'll tell them that, as you can tell, I wasn't born around here, and they'll start laughing. <laughs> <laughs> but a felt experience, it depends. Another thing is to, to feel the room. Every room is different. Like, I can walk into a room. Like, I gave a couple of speech, uh, speech. I've been doing speeches for a while, but I gave a speech a couple of weeks ago at a school, 
And there were two groups that came in. The first group was the same age. And I felt that room, that energy in the room. And I gave a certain speech. The second group, same age, different kids. And it was a bit of a harder audience. So I shifted how I started and how I spoke to them. And uh, you really have to figure out the energy in the room. That's a really profound way of doing it. Because if you go into a room and give a speech and the energy isn't a workable energy, then it's going to fall flat. So you really have to figure out what that energy in that room is. Are you the type of person that basically has the same material that you present every time? Or are you the flip? Do you have it uh, every time you talk is different because it's just pulling from so many different stories? What's your structure when you go after this? Because you, you do a lot of different talks. It depends. Okay. The majority of my speeches for my last tour was one speech, which is the Kindness Diary speech, which is the show on Netflix. But every time I have a different story, I have a different, you know, something new comes up. That doesn't mean that the slides aren't the same because they are, but there's a different story that comes up and uh, I'll share something different depending on who I'm talking to. If I'm talking to a um, uh, maximum security prison, I will speak differently than if I'm talking to a a situation in... Um, in a library. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Very cool. So do you follow a certain structure? Like, um, is there some sort of an arc that you try to go after? So it sounds like you warm them up first, and then, you know, I've heard some people really address the problem in the room and bring them down the valley of despair and then bring them back up. How do you structure your motivational talks or your inspirational talks? Well, I structure them based around my adventures and my, my life. So I have to obviously introduce myself. Why am I here? Why is an Englishman here talking to you? <laughs> right. Like, who is this man? So, you know, I give my backstory, and then I tell my story in an arc, how I started work, how I, you know, went left, then went back, then had all these experiences, what I learned, and what you can learn too. I mean, look, the speech is about me, but I try my very best to make it not about me, because kindness is universal. And uh, it's about you. And I'm just a vessel. Uh, I, I'm just a vessel. I think that's an interesting concept, right? The talk and the speech, and a lot of people will talk about their own experiences. It's about them. But how do you make a talk about you, not about you, and for the audience? Is it more universal lessons, or is it, yeah. here's a story, look for it in your life? What are some of those nuggets to make your story not about you? It's universal. Kindness is universal. I'm the, the chap who's talking about it. But for example, I talk about my dog, Winston Churchill, who is a um, Boston Terrier. And, um, you know, he's, uh, I love him very much. And uh, I then get people to say if they have dogs. And if they have dogs, I bring them up on stage and tell them about their dogs and how much they love their dogs. And um, ultimately, I say to them, well, if you can love your dog, then you can love anyone and you get to choose you get to choose right it's a choice so it's about me but it's really about you and it sounds like you engage with the audience a lot i think a lot of speakers are fearful of bringing somebody up from the audience right like being on a live radio show taking live calls but from what i'm hearing it sounds like you're you are really connecting with them through your story by bringing them physically on stage and having them share their stories absolutely i try and do that as much as i can because their story is part of my story and my story is part of their story. And um, it's important that uh, they get to speak too. It's not just a monologue. Right. 
Well, for those speakers here listening, it is not a monologue. It is not a broadcast. It is this communication going both ways. So let's talk a little bit about how you structure the business side of your speaking, because I know that it's not the easiest to get booked at a school, let alone the easiest to get paid to speak at a school, let alone have these crazy tours that you have with like 20, 30 schools lined up after the other. Did you sort of develop a certain strategy or is it just the amount of time that you've been doing it? I'm curious to know sort of what we can learn from how you've built your business of speaking. Sure. So the way it started was I, first of all, agreed to do it for free. Okay. So I would I would do tours across America and I would do it for free. I would go to 30, 40 schools and they wouldn't pay me. Then the next stage was to take hopefully the positive feedback from these schools and to offer to do it for a small amount of money and to give them free books. So they gave me a small amount and I gave them free books. So it was free, but they had to pay something. And then I started charging. And look, you know, I was in a unique situation that I have this Netflix show. So, you know, people would reach out to me. Mm. And people from the schools that I would speak to, they would come out and they would say, hey, we, you know, we have, uh, there's a teacher friend of mine at X, Y, and Z school, and uh, we want to book you for our school. And that's kind of how it started to work. Like I said, I just did a lot of it for free to start with. And I think that's interesting because still, I believe that there's misconception about how when you get paid to speak, that it's some magic secret when a lot of times it just sounds like it starts from paying it forward and then charging a little and then bringing the value and then sort of building that brand and reputation. Absolutely. And you have to really feel it and you have to really want it. Like people sometimes say to me, oh, Leon, are you just doing this kindest thing to make money? And I'm like, I don't say this to them, but inside I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> you don't, you obviously don't know me. Again, I'm not perfect, but... Uh, kindness and how we treat people is part of who I am. And uh, it's my passion because I know what it's like to be treated disrespectfully. So I do everything in my power to inspire kids and others to know that there's a river, an ocean of kindness within all of us. And you get to choose if you want to uh, jump into that river or if you want to just ignore it. Yeah. Would you suggest for people who are coming up in their speaking experience and career to leverage speaking at schools because it is a unique audience and speaking to a bunch of six to 12 year olds is different than a bunch of, you know, 40 to 60 year olds. What are your thoughts on people who are considering taking this path and getting some stage time at schools? What do they need to look out for or what would you warn them about? Well, the most important thing they need to know is, is their message going to touch a life Mm. at a school? There's no point in going to school and speaking about like, something that's just not going to touch lives. If it's going to touch lives, then they should do it for sure because it's very rewarding and it helps people. I think that's a huge determining factor that makes a lot of sense. So if you've got something that's life-changing, who would be the point of contact at the school? Are you going through the principal or the, the activities director? Let's navigate and kind of unpack how you book it at school because even if you're going free, I think that there's still some steps that you have to go through. So for people who are interested and have a life-changing message, where would they even start? Like step us through this process of somebody who wants to learn how to at least get booked out of school. Well, the way that I did it, which I'm not sure is is the way for everyone, but the way that I did it was that uh, I had some contacts in schools. And um, I also had some books and, and some shows that made it easier. So 
I would send them a message and they would look me up online and they'd be like, okay, he's legit. Let me talk to my principal or whatever. Right. So going through the internet is a good way. Maybe finding um, schools, school Twitter handles or, or school Instagram pages and asking them. That would be the low cost way of doing it. But well ahead of that, you basically is the fact that you should have something established. You should have something that people can find because it sounds like these schools and whoever, they're most likely going to look you up with a polite cyber stock and turn to Google. Yes. I mean, it helps. Does it mean that if you don't have it, you can't do it? No. I mean, it doesn't. You know, maybe your kids at school would be willing right. to have you come in and talk about your inspirational message. And then through that, they're so inspired by it that they're like, they tell a friend and they call you up. So it can be done in many ways. It's just the way that I did it. Now, are you bringing that same kindness message to the, the older crowd or is your primary market sort of the, the younger crowd? Oh, no, it's definitely the older crowd too. And do you find um, that you're speaking more at conferences or sort of, you know, do you go into corporations? How does the adult market side of your business work? Conferences, corporations, nonprofits. The beauty of my message really isn't my message. It's just a universal message is that it's universal. So I can speak to kindness to a three-year-old and to a 90-year-old. It's because it's part of who we are. Right. So it's a universal message. I speak to maximum security prisoners about kindness. As I speak to kindergarten kids about kindness, I just, you know, change the message a little bit. But the ethos of the talk is the same. So would your, um, this idea of a universal message, like another one could be, you know, finding happiness or another one could be probably overcoming struggle or something along those lines. How important is it to hone in on one of those versus being somebody who could speak on a variety of those universal topics? I mean, look, I can speak on a variety of universal topics. I can speak about happiness, but I'm more astute and capable of speaking about kindness per se. But when I do my Q&As, if someone asks me about happiness, I'll answer it. And yeah, I mean, I will do what I need to do. But I do focus primarily on how we treat each other um, and how we show up in the moment. Yeah. And having that focus probably helps you just become known for that and helps build your brand for that, as opposed to sort of being more of a generalist in the universal topics. Yes, exactly. Now, do you have people that come to you and say, I love what you're doing. How can I do the same thing? Or yeah. do you inspire other people to do that? Sometimes, yeah. I mean, I will always... A lot of people Facebook message me or, or email me and I pretty much respond to everyone. And if I can help you, I can because I was helped by lots of books I read, by lots of wise people I met. And uh, if I can help you, I will help you. So speaking of help, so I, I love books and you just basically made me realize that you are probably a great person to to piggyback the book club with. Do you have any books that have helped you really from the speaking perspective or something that, uh, you know, is a go-to book for people who are trying to find a message that they want to communicate to the world? Do you know what, uh, specifically about speaking? No, I haven't. Okay. I don't have any books, but, but Seth Godin is very, very good. He has a lot of really powerful books. I've read many, many books that have really touched me in a profound way, but specifically around speaking. No. Okay. And I didn't know if, uh, but I mean, I could see a lot of Seth's stuff, like the Purple Cow, kind of 
relates to having a topic that everybody maybe would pass by unless you change the color, right? Like your, exactly, yeah. your kindness to some extent, the fact that you are going around the world in a yellow motorcycle, that's kind of your purple cow. It's a yellow cow, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. So for people who want to, you know, share a message similar to you, what is your advice as far as taking that same route and not necessarily going and traveling and doing something, but I don't want to call it a gimmick because it's not a gimmick, but this concept, this adventure is definitely like the single thing that has sort of, it's spawned all this other stuff. It creates your content. What is your advice for finding that one thing or that inspiration that you will then either embark on or have to then create content around? Do you help people through that process at all? Look, I would say that the most important thing is to follow your heart, is to follow your passion, is to allow whatever pain you may be in to guide you out of the hole that you may find yourself in. That's what happened with me. I was in a lot of pain and pain propelled me. So I think it's really up to you. Many people can turn around and say, well, you know, I can't do that because I have a family or I can't do that because I, I have kids or I can't do that because I've got a mortgage. And that's a very valid excuse. Maybe you can't. But if you really put your mind to it and if there is a why to why you do what you do, then anything is possible. And um, sometimes people say to me, well, I don't have any, I have a dream, but I don't have money. And I say, well, let's say you wanted to be a baker. How much money does it cost? to go to the library and get a book <laughs> on how to start a baking business. It doesn't cost anything. Right. So take that book out and read it. And then when you finish that, maybe it'll have inspired you enough to start baking for your kids. It doesn't cost any money. Start baking for your kids. And then take little baby steps. So anything is possible. I'm not saying it's easy. It's not. But it's very rare that something is not viable for us to do specifically in the western world we live in sure in certain countries the poverty is so systemic that it's in some ways impossible to get out of but where we live it's not so impossible not easy but not so impossible so this idea of letting your pain guide you to motivate you to create change based on not something that you need money to accomplish but just to study with I think is a it's a very powerful kind of a universal concept of that sharing of the message. So with your message of kindness, I'm a big pay it forward kind of guy. And I see a lot of similarities with that, right? The person who lets you go eat their chili in the fridge, you know, they're paying it forward and it's going to come back to them tenfold. What are some ways that people who want to spread their message, they have an inspirational talk or they have a life story that they want to share. How are some of the ways that they can be kind in the world or pay it forward that will return opportunity and more exposure and things such as that? Well, first of all, I'd like anyone listening to know that if at any stage they want to send me an email or a message and ask me directly any any questions, they can do that. Awesome. Uh, they can just find me on, on Google, on Facebook, on Twitter, Instagram, uh, or they can go to my website and uh, they have my word that I will respond to them. When it comes to you know, paying it forward, the best way to pay it forward is win-win. So by that, I mean that when you have something that you're passionate about, go out into the world and spread that message because the person you're spreading it to will feel your passion, will feel your heart, and will get something from it, and you will get something from it too. 
because you're spreading your message. So find what it is that you want to do in life, what your heart wants you to do, where you're passionate about, where you have a calling and go out into the world and spread it. You know, it doesn't have to even be in a speech setting. Great. If it is great, but go out and spread it on a daily basis, go out and show up in the world and be present. Yeah. I think that that concept of being mindful of just communicating what it is that you want to share, not necessarily on or off the stage, but anywhere. And you're an example of that because you're talking with people all over the place. Like you, you've almost eliminated the stage because if you think about it, when we're all conversing in real life in the streets, like we're on that same page. So I love that idea of speaking this message wherever it doesn't just have to be on stage. No, that's it's about embodying it. You know, it's about going out into the world, not just being one person on stage and another person out there in the world. You be the same person on stage that you are out in the world. And sometimes people say to me, they're like, Leon, are you the same person that you are on the show in real life? Because, you know, obviously in the show, it's, it's kind of glorified in some way. And I say to them, yes, I am, except the person in real life is more flawed. He has more flaws. And that's just part of being human. So what you do in your day-to-day job, what you do on, on stage, has to be who you are. Because what's the point of, of faking it? And that brings a really interesting perspective where someone who's trying to build a speaking career, they might look to other people who are successful and mirror or mimic those individuals versus having basically the courage to say, this is who I am and this is what I'm doing. Yeah. And look, there's nothing wrong with taking what people, you know, what other, let's say masters do. I, I've listened to many speeches and I've, and I've taken things that other people have done, but you have to have it all based around who you are. You can't be them. You are you. So if you listen to a speech and they say something good and you want to use it in your speech, great. You know, if they if they give out a certain, let's say, something at the end of the speech that you think is cool, great, go for it. But if you lose your sense of identity and you just become a clone of them, then the audience is going to figure it out. Yeah. And I love how you pretty much started with the same advice, which is the most important thing is knowing yourself. And regardless of the help you get from whatever masters that you can, whatever library books that you can, It all comes down to that self-awareness, that being present in the moment, and uh, at the end of the day, the kindness. So, very inspiring story. If you were going to leave our listeners with one sort of final thought or one message that you have basically would would like to leave them with as they go on to spread their messages, what would that one message be? Never, never give up. I don't care what happens to you. Never give up. If there's a moment when you're on the floor and you're psychologically or emotionally in a bad place, I understand. Stay on the floor for as long as you need to. But there will come a point when you will stand up. Never give up. Wow. Well, super inspiring, Leon. I'm excited to check out this documentary. Where I mean, I'm assuming people can find it on Netflix. But the name again is the uh, The Kindness Diaries, right? The Kindness Diaries on Netflix. All right. And for anybody out there, the idea here aside from not giving up, is help others to not give up. And that's another form of kindness. So you have somebody who you know is working on their speaking career and they're down and out. They're proverbially on the floor. Like help pick everybody up. I think that there's an abundance mentality when it comes to speakers, no matter what your topic. So I'm excited that you are spreading that kindness message out there, Leon. And I'll probably hit you up and have a continued dialogue. But keep up the great work and 
traveling around the world and I will look for <laughs> the yellow, uh, the kindness, what is it? What's the name? Kindness One? The, yeah, the Kindness One is the name of the bike. I'll look for the Kindness One coming through my town and everybody else should too. So hey, thanks for being a great guest, Leon, and we will see you later on and hopefully share the stage sometime. Thank you so much, man. Look forward to it. All right. Thanks. Thanks.